Hello and welcome to Super Psychedelic. In this conversation, we were joined by Deanna Rogers. After leaving the Amazon jungle, Deanna felt a strong call to continue to support the profound work she sees as possible with plant medicines. And although her work has varied widely throughout the years, the themes have tied themselves around empowering people through self-realization and helping to create what they want to see in the world. And she shared some incredibly thought-provoking insights into how we talk about and think about preparation. We also dive into why these stages before and after the psychedelic experience itself are so critical, such as going through a dieta practice. And we touched on the importance of challenging the boundaries of ourselves and how we can be open to actively engaging with our experience, sort of countering this common idea of surrendering. She helps people both prepare before working with these plant medicines and integrate their experiences into their everyday life afterward and sees herself as a, as a bridge keeper between these ancient medicine systems and the Western context. It was a fascinating conversation. We really enjoyed it and we hope you do too. Now we bring you Deanna Rogers. Hi, Deanna, and welcome to Super Psychedelic. And thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for putting all this together. Deanna, you've taken part in some amazing work with psychedelic integration through your time at the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru, working alongside Gabba Mate and many other experiences, which we'll hopefully get into. We wanted to begin the conversation around how you came into a relationship with psychedelics. Yeah, I think I was initially more of a plant medicine person than uh, psychedelics, but basically what happened was I, I put an intention out there for myself of just wanting a more authentic spirituality. I grew up in a Christian home and something never felt quite right, but I, I had this kind of, I'd always say I had like a depth in terms of being curious around spirituality, but just I never found the right fit growing up where I grew up. I'd say a few months later, ayahuasca came across my path and that was about 12 years ago now. Yeah, my, my partner at the time said, hey, there's this thing. Do you want to do you want to come? He worked with it before. And that's kind of what basically introduced me to this world. It just kind of was like following the breadcrumbs. Like there was like one thing that led to another. It wasn't like I was actively pursuing it, but it just after the first time for ceremonies, um, I actually had a really hard year. And so I did three ceremonies. I had a very hard year, which taught me a lot about integration and the, <laughs> the necessary attention that it needs. And I went back to that plant again, or the combination of those two plants again a year later. And then slowly things just kind of happened. And I had a lot of these really reoccurring dreams. I was at the end of a contract with the university I was working for in Vancouver at the time. And um, eventually those dreams were telling me to go to Peru, go to Peru. I went once, I came back and and then I eventually went down to the Temple of the Way of Light and I applied for their work exchange program. I just thought, why not? I guess all these dreams are coming. And um, so it, it definitely felt like a calling and I, I thought I was going to stay for three months. I ended up there for four years. And then I've been back in Canada now for four years. I've been mostly focused on integrating and preparing people for these experiences and I've also been doing assessment and so for the the temple I was making you know getting on phone calls with people trying to decide if this was the right time if it was the right fit if we thought it would be safe in this process I'd say in this last couple of years I feel like I've personally just been opening up to a lot of other medicines and their value and their place and I feel like every psychedelic uh, plant medicine is its own world and it's kind of a, a specialty you imagine these kind of these doctors and these units um, I've just been getting more curious about these and, and personally I feel like for a long time I was very much like no I, I'm just good I'm good with plants and I, I wasn't really curious about other kind of more popular psychedelics although that has started to shift in this last period of time so I don't think well obviously when I was a little kid I never thought that 
this was an option. I didn't know it was an option, <laughs> but it's never been mm -hmm. something that I've been like, oh, I'm going to do that. It just kind of was like following, you know, the next step on the path. And then sooner or later, it's become the main thing that I that I do. So I've, I've heard a few stories now from people who kind of like you said, it, it's almost that intuition-esque relationship if you're not necessarily going out and, and seeking it, but you kind of have this sense of of direction and curiosity. And you said it kind of came from this seed or this foundation of just a love of plants and, and that relationship that you already had. I think in like your first sentence, you said plant medicines versus psychedelics. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to pick up on because plant medicine is also almost synonymous with psychedelics these days. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious in terms of how you've experienced and seen this uh, changing landscape of the industry. What, what does that distinction mean for you, plant medicines versus psychedelics? Because I think that is a really interesting relationship to explore. Yeah, I think the thing that for me, one of the big differences is that one, like plant medicines lean on a tradition and a cosmology and they have a whole discipline and practice around them and that that supports them so mm -hmm. whole worldview you know I think that that is starting to blur more and more but psychedelics have often been more of this kind of synthesized version so I'm thinking of like LSD MDMA ketamine mushrooms I think come from that that culture and from that lineage and then but are now also kind of moving into this more synthesized version as well so I think that for me, it's like they just have very different cultural roots. And so even though synthesized substances have a culture mm -hmm. and they have a history, it's just a very different one than something that is thousands of years old and has a whole rite of passage and lineage and teachings and, you know, a whole a whole world kind of surrounding it. Now, is that to say that most of your work, I believe... Uh, the way that I understand it, the Temple of the Way of Light does mainly or only work with ayahuasca. Yeah, and so they would they would extend that. And so, yeah, in my time in the jungle, I worked there. I also studied with someone from tobacco lineage. And so he wasn't, he was mestizo, so he wasn't Shipibo. But they work with Shipibo healers and they were, I'd, I'd say they call themselves a plant hospital. And so the main medicine they work with is ayahuasca. And they also have a lot of other remedies. And so that lineage, the Shipibo lineage, really brings in a lot of different plants. And so for them, it's not just that it's not just ayahuasca or in that tradition, it's called uni. They do plant baths, they do a vomitivo, they give plant remedies for different things. They will work, they'll do body work on if someone has like an area of chronic pain or something like this. So it's really a, a full kind of plant treatment, although... I think in the West, only what's really talked about is often ayahuasca. I wanted to uh, pick up on something you said initially uh, about your kind of origin story. You, you, know, you mentioned you started, you know, Christian backgrounds and then explored and, and found your way uh, through the, you know, to these plant medicines. And I, I've heard a lot of people talk about that, this kind of yearning for a spirituality, I think is kind of a baseline for, for all of us. But this, you know, rejection of potentially kind of dogmatic um, religious upbringings towards a kind of more secular spiritual place. Does anything remain of your Christianity? Talk a little bit about um, you know, your your place right now with 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 your own personal relationship with you know spirituality. Sure, I had one um, one of my somatic teachers actually said that they thought people get drawn to plant medicines because they want a deeper relationship with the earth. Um, and even psychedelics more generally, I would say. And so, am I still Christian? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. Although I, well, that's a very complex topic. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people in my life that got a lot of benefit from that. It was a, I, I grew up in a United church, so it was pretty open and it wasn't like the really dogmatic but I also, my mom is actually a choir director there, or she used to be, she just recently retired, but she was a, a choir director and the organist. And so I remember also like seeing in the end of church services, they'd go and they'd like count the money in this room. And uh, so I remember having this kind of complex view of it when I was a child. 
Yeah, and so in terms of my own spirituality, now I'd say it's more kind of based around around nature. And so that would be kind of the, the baseline of my own spiritual practice and around prayer, around seasons, around nature, around um, relationship. And so I think that that's ultimately what nature can teach us is about how to be in relationship. In terms of if people have a kind of more secular religion that they belong to I think it's really about like what is that giving them and so you know I think one thing that churches in a general term can provide people is a sense of community which is really important and that's kind of growing up that's what I I saw in a way it was like oh this is a place where people will will take care of each other and that they can come and see each other and even though there's something that always felt a little bit shallow about it you know there was something powerful about having that relationship and I think that's one thing that that folks are wired for that's something that innately we we crave and so I think for me what this this path has really given me is a connection with something larger and I don't really have a name that I that I call it it's just kind of a faith that is inside of me and you know ultimately also helps me connect with myself and to trust my own my own path and my own intuition yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I grew up in a nominally Church of England kind of household, but Church of England's, you know, as I don't say dilute, because that's maybe not the best word to use, but, you know, it's it's essentially culturally Christian. And and you're right. I mean, the, the church was really a place for gathering. We had harvest festivals. We had all these kind of uh, community-based initiatives and different um, seasonal kind of celebrations. And the, the, the religious side was almost, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it, it, you know, it was the backdrop for it. But really the value that most people got in the community was each other and the reason to kind of getting together and sharing these things. Um, you mentioned your relationship or learning from the Shipibo. Mm -hmm. Pardon me if I'm saying that. No, okay. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> From, from those teachings and, you know, we, we mentioned before this, we, we just had our conversation with Dennis McKenna and a lot of that conversation centralized around how we bring in those various teachings and indigenous wisdom into these new paradigms around psychedelic medicine and, and what that means for this kind of dismantling or reintegration or reframing of our cultural, spiritual context and just hearing your story is that is that something that played a big part in that for your experience where you are now being able to look a little bit differently at your relationship with nature or spiritual whatnot like having that time in Peru in the Amazon with the Shipibo people were there a few main takeaways or teachings that really influenced where you stand now yeah there was a lot <laughs> loaded question like, everything um, <laughs> yeah it really it really opened up my my worldview in a big way and I think one of the biggest things is that I I previously mentioned is just like this idea about being in relationship and so I remember even mm -hmm. like one of the the maestras one of the healers that worked there you know she would go and harvest a plant and then she would fast until noon on the day she would harvest that, harvest that plant. And, you know, there's a whole practice around how you're, you're in relationship, the plants will speak to them. You know, this is kind of the worldview that they're, they're operating under. Um, I think one of the biggest things too, is this idea that there's a, a practice around it. And so, you know, one of the things I think the psychedelic, when I'm going to talk about that, like the Western kind of movement that's happening now is the idea of preparation and so taking the time to prepare you know I would see people that would have drastic improvements in whatever it was that they were working on just by going through the preparation process of like cleaning up their diet limiting their social media of limiting their their tv and so I think there's something about kind of that that reverence and that commitment and also really like sometimes for people that's a lot of work even just to do that preparation of really you know taking that seriously and so I think there's something that it kind of asks you to actively participate in where I think sometimes there can be a oh I'm not feeling good I'm gonna go get that thing and you know there's not kind of this again you mentioned Aaron this idea of like this ecosystem around it 
Yeah, while I was there, I did a lot of traditional study of dieta, and so that's kind of learning and working with plants, and uh, that's impacted me greatly, and so like just uh, allowed different parts of myself to open up that were shut down for various reasons throughout my life. One of the, the teachings that I really find very helpful in this modern context is like they would talk a lot about this idea of connecting people with their path. Uh, versus this idea of purpose which I feel like in the western context is very much about like a job or a thing that you do and once you do that thing life will be good um, and a destination yeah exactly and that never people never really get to um, or often don't get to and this idea of a path is like how do you connect with that kind of an instinct connect with yourself open up your your sensitivity and your kind of and also your boundaries of what's what's good for you and to live by that day to day and trust that that's going to take you to where you need to go and it's a very very different worldview and so yeah I mean in terms of my my time there and the teachings there it was it was a lot it was really a huge reverence also for the the discipline it takes to hold that medicine in a good way People sometimes start the process of, of preparing when they're kids into teenagers or, you know, some people will start later in life as well. But it's, yeah, it, it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of work and a real intimacy in knowing the, the plant that you're serving. And so I think everyone that I've probably worked with has been to the edges of where that plant will take their, their personality um, and then also to the other worlds of that that particular plant can can provide an open and so another thing around that that was very helpful was this idea that they really like it's a, a lot about apprenticeship in certain ways and so one of your main your main teacher is the plants but then you also have someone there to guide you and then you also have the added element of isolation and so really getting to know yourself outside of all of the distractions and to really again cultivate that that practice and that discipline so that's a very big question but those are a few things that come up <laughs> yeah. yeah I I had a bit of a similar experience when I took some time also around Latin America I was studying permaculture I was working on farms and I had that kind of diligent experience of growing something and being in a relationship with the thing that you're about to consume to put into your body and what it means to cultivate that on multiple levels pardon the pun but oh. cultivating that and in, in in multiple ways and i think that's it's it's such a special thing to get to take part in that slows you down makes you like you said you know that that reverence that you truly get to appreciate for the process of engaging with something that is going to change your consciousness is going to upset your reality up and you know make you question all these things like big big questions there so one thing that you mentioned about mentorship and something that we've thought is a really interesting point to get your your take on because you've done this guide work you've worked with so many facilitators um, in different spaces and all of that um, for you probably receiving mentorship and now kind of being a mentor in various ways we have these uh, distinctions in the Western world of trip sitters and guides. And there's, there's kind of all of these like different things that you can be that help people and guide them through these, these experiences and these circumstances for you. How do you, how do you see those, those different relationships as somebody who is engaging with this process and somebody looking to engage supporting that for somebody else? Yeah, I, I would definitely, I see it as a spectrum and the kind of one end of being like a trip sitter, you know, I think that's really about just making sure someone has the basics covered if they're wanting to work with these medicine. And so it's, yeah, it could be just sitting with them, helping them to the bathroom. If they're going to vomit, make sure they get a bucket, <laughs> you know, like, or getting them mm -hmm. water, checking on them. It's just kind of these simple, like safety, basic needs. So I think that can be one end and that, you know, that can be really helpful and really supportive and just to kind of be there with someone. And then there's kind of, again, there's kind of a, an area between that and a guide. And so I'd say a guide is more of what is being trained on a larger scale right now. And so someone who has some training. And so, for example, the MAPS training might be a good example of that, where one of the main premises there is really about 
helping the, the client or the participant to really get in contact with their own inner healer. And so I feel like a guide is there to help support, like maybe to help someone see something a different way, to ask a question, to have that attunement with someone. So it's kind of they're there to, I'd say, invoke some inquiry as well as just like provide that emotional attunement because that's one big piece especially I think in the MDMA work is that relational piece and that attunement and having those corrective experiences can be really impactful for people and then I'd say there's another end of the spectrum which is kind of somewhere between guide and healer or doctor and so this is kind of where I'd put some of the indigenous healers that I've had the, the privilege of working with. And so really mm-hmm. about, yeah, how, how they navigate those energetic worlds and how they can really, you know, I'd say from the Shipibo lineage, it's, it's surgery that they're doing on someone. They're doing energetic surgery with that person. So that person's having their own experience and they can have a lot of healing and learning from their own experience, but you have someone who's there to kind of guide the medicine through someone's body and through their system to help it go into those blockages, uh, to help open it up, move in a certain direction, to help, they can, uh, you know, a good healer can help bring someone's effect up, it can help bring their effect down. Again, there's a whole spectrum of guide to healer, and maybe they'll do some like body work on a really stuck area in the body. So there's there's a quite a range between even those three different points uh, of where someone's at, and I think the biggest thing of people who are curious to get into that is like not like to really own their limits. So where's your skill set? Mm-hmm. You know, not to pretend that you're a healer or a doctor, and really, you know, you can just provide some of the basic care. That basic care is really important, and so not to belittle that. But I think it's just to really own, like, where are you at? What's your training? What's your capacity? And to practice within that. And so I think that's the biggest thing because there's this huge desire to want to sell yourself that you can do this and that. And I think if someone's safe and they're well taken care of, a lot of healing can happen within that. And so I would say that's the biggest thing is just to own where your limits are and to practice within your scope of practice, whatever that might be your website references the importance of bridge keepers can you talk a little bit about what a what a bridge keeper is and how does that person fit into the the variations of psychedelic facilitation work yeah and so that i think applies a lot when i was in peru that was something that i really felt like my role was there so facilitating on site we were receiving people from all across the world and they were coming to work with indigenous healers. And so I really felt like my role was to help connect and translate almost worldviews for both ends between. And so it's not just a direct language translation. It's about kind of having an intimacy with both. And so obviously I'm, I'm white, I'm Western. I grew up in this world. I know that world I have started to get to know this other system and way of, of being. And so that, that term really came when I was doing that work in the jungle. I think there's going to be more and more, you know, science is really kind of leading the, the current movement of psychedelics. And I think that's necessary in some ways. Research talks, it gets funding. Um, it proves to people that this is, has a really good efficacy and safety. And if we do it in these ways and we can replicate those studies, Um, that's really helpful, although it's really missing a huge piece of the picture. And so I feel like that's where this bridge keeping might come in again, is kind of to bring in some of these pieces of spirituality, because that's a huge piece of, of what people find these experiences healing is that they, again, can connect them with this sense of something larger outside of themselves. It can give them perspective. Yeah, I would really love to see, you know, that I'm not saying that the Shipibo medicine system is the be-all and end-all, and I've worked with a lot of different kinds of healers that are rooted in traditions um, and with lots of different medicines. Although I think what I've learned is that they, they know their capacity, they know their container, they know how to really energetically manage that space. And so I think some of these things will start to kind of creep in more as this as this grows and continues to expand And so I don't know exactly what it will continue to look like, but I feel like I think we have a lot to learn from people who've been doing this for a very long time. I love Mm. that term, bridge keeper. 
when we had um, mm-hmm. Dennis on, he we, we went in a little bit about how do we you know, leverage ancient wisdoms and integrate them into Western modalities of care in a sustainable way, in a scalable way, because we want more people to have access to this stuff, but in a way that's, you know, that builds in reciprocity with with these communities that stewarded that that knowledge. I wonder whether you have any opinions on how you think um, we can integrate this wisdom effectively into the West. Yeah, I think that's another giant and also delicate question, you know, because mm-hmm. we're also dealing with a past of colonization. I think reciprocity is the huge... <laughs> the um, operating term, term as there. Dennis called yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, he, he named it. He was like, that's the word everybody's using. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's one thing that's embedded into these cultures in a lot of ways is this concept of, of reciprocity and, again, coming into this idea of being in good relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, there are some different voices, I think, in this scene right now that are, that are advocating for this. Bia Labache is one. She's really, she's an amazing anthropologist, and she does a lot of research as well. And so I feel like she does a really good job of saying, here's what other people from different perspectives and point of view that have relationship to those traditions are saying. And so I, I think that that's a really good thing. I have a, a current desire of facilitating retreats I don't know when this will happen but facilitating retreats for people who are curious about this work and stepping into this work to go and learn from indigenous healers and so bringing people to the jungle or to to Mexico or you know different areas where they can have some of the direct experience themselves to learn a different way and to kind of have that embodied experience of what it means to have that depth of container In terms of some of the teachings that come, I think it's about also inviting people to the north in terms of providing some of that training. What what could it be like if MAPS integrated a module into their teaching that was taught by someone who was indigenous? You know, there's also lots of people in North America that have different medicine traditions um, that are indigenous to these lands as well. So I think that that would be, you know, opening up for different perspectives and different voices to be involved in some of the curriculum that's being taught, but, you know, paying them well for their time. One of my friends, Tanya Kamona, and she works and lives in, in Peru, and, you know, she really advocates that you can't separate the culture from the medicine. And so, you know, finding different ways that you can also support initiatives that happen there that are helping to preserve the culture and traditions there, even if it doesn't directly impact you. It's a way of also saying, okay, I get that this is part of this larger picture and what are the ways that I can support that? And, you know, some people have time they can donate. Some people have resources they can donate. There's a lot of different ways that you can can contribute. I think the key thing, again, is, is just that there is a relationship there. Again, so science is leading this. I think spirituality is going to be the next thing that kind of really integrates into the conversation. And so maybe that's a a place where that voice is highlighted more and there is more teachings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's an interesting, sensitive topic, like you say. And and one thing that we discussed previously was um, exactly like you were saying, this kind of idea of was it like psychedelic tourism, I think was the word that was used, you know, all these people from North America venturing down to places like Latin America, because it is so, you know, profound in the culture, obviously, depending where you go, there's different, different exposures to different practices and, and things like that. But an interesting framework would be how we bring that back how we bring that back mm-hmm. home and how we actually integrate that into a modern Western context. And I think the more we're able to bring the idea of retreats home is a way that we look at sustainability as well. You know, we're not necessarily going into these communities and we're, we're bringing that knowledge together in a way that's a bit more sustainable or um, we're able to see the experience in the context, you know, some people go down to Latin America, they experience it there. But now, as you said, if we have medicine teachers and healers coming up here to take part in, in teaching and education, obviously, there's a certain, there's again, another nuance in there, but being able to kind of walk in each other's context a little bit and help be those bridges, 
that you said, being those bridge keepers in, in different ways. Is there a process that you would see um, or that you would want to help foster in your own coaching in this retreat center that you're, you're discussing? Like, what do you have a system that you might want to put in place? Maybe that's too far down the line asking that, but, um, you know, just you, you have that kind of bridge way about you as well as there are there ways that you've thought about how you would want to approach bringing that framework or paradigm to reality? Um, I feel like it happens in small ways through like some of the workshops I lead and in terms of, I guess like one of the biggest things is also just around like legalities. So a lot of the medicines that people are, are serving aren't, aren't legal in North America or Europe or, you know, a lot of these areas where these, these movements are, are happening on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. I think also like one thing that is, is about to happen is that there's a, a group of people that are serving medicine here that want to create a, a consultation group and asked to reach out to a couple of us to, to lead that. And so I think that that's a good way of, you know, people starting to kind of bridge that have spent time in the tradition coming back here, trying to bridge that with psychology as well. And so I, I think it's about, you know, it's, again, it's really difficult because you can bring people here. I think I would love to see more voices from those traditions supporting the teaching of some of the movements that are happening here. I'd also like to, you know, one of the things that I think is missing for a lot of these trainings, I mean, it's happening more in the ketamine world, but is that people also having their own direct experiences. And so mm-hmm. people that are stepping into psychedelic assisted therapy, some of them haven't worked with the medicines that they're, they're sitting with their clients. And so I think this is also something that I really, I really understood from the indigenous tradition is like, yeah, you need to spend a long time, like essentially the equivalent of a practicum. Um, mm-hmm. So hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, being with something before you could even attempt to, to serve it. Someone recently asked me, why don't you serve ayahuasca? You lived in Peru for four years. And I said, uh, no, <laughs> it was never my intention. <laughs> I, I went down there. That was never my intention. I wanted to like support and work in different areas and capacities. And I was like, that's a huge responsibility. And it's initiation. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to go through a lot of different steps. It's not just something you you casually give someone. And I think there's a lot of responsibility with it. And so I, I guess it's like at this moment in time, I feel like one thing that could easily happen is the like centering and highlighting different voices and perspectives. And, you know, there's a huge, there's a lot of people also in the States that are working with peyote legally as well. So maybe that mm. could be a movement to draw from or even just some of the teachings. I used to work with a, an Indigenous community here a little bit and, and go there for some, for some ceremonies had nothing to do with psychoactive medicines um but you know you learn a lot in terms of just being there in that space listening protocols I think more and more of that is something I'd like to see and then I'd also love to facilitate people that are curious about getting into this to have really deepen that experiential component because if you're with a client and you're sitting with them and they're on the edges of what they feel like they can handle and be with, like there's something to have that embodied experience that you know it's going to be okay. And to know that you've seen a lot of people go through this, that you've seen people really like push those edges, be it that they're experiencing rage or fear or um, are just kind of don't know, really disoriented or, you know, they're in the depths of their pain and grief, like to know that, okay, to like have your, your center and, one thing from somatic experiencing is that they, they talk about this idea of co-regulation. Like if you can stay regulated and in your center and you know that it's probably going to be okay or know the signs when it's not going to be okay and you need to get help, you know, to find that edge and, and to really have that be embodied, I think uh, is a huge piece of it. So. Mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, a lot of big world kind of pictures and hopes for the future and whatnot. But uh, I like that you started bringing in a little bit more of your own personal practice. And I think it'd be great to dive in a little bit more on what that looks like. It's it's such an exciting field of work. Um, and and you've had this this exposure and this experience that not so not nearly as many people have had, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest 
in careers. People are looking more into certifications or certifications coming out all the time for various integration work and whatnot. But from your own experience, it would be great for our ourselves and any listeners who are interested. What is what is the process look like for you? Are you you know, speak to it very gracefully on your website. And um, it'd be great to hear more about what does it mean to prepare? What does it mean to integrate, to go through that experience together? There's not a lot of integration programs out there. And I think that's for a good reason (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it looks really different. And I also think preparation can also look really different for people. And so it's this kind of big topic that I think it takes a lot of different shapes and forms. And in terms of what what I do when I prepare with people is to get curious about what's coming up. So you want to do this thing. What, what's coming up if you say yes to a retreat or you say yes to doing a a guided session, there's been a lot of fear. Okay. There's been a lot of like, it's, it's really about trying to cultivate this active listening as part of it. It's like, okay, how do you start to connect with what's there? That's potentially wanting your attention. Cause I feel like that's what starts to happen for people. Things start to come up even before the experiences or even just thinking about the experiences they have a a lot of reactions and responses and usually those reactions and responses tell them a lot about common habits or way of relating or things that they potentially are wanting to to work on and then um, another thing is also helping people develop some some tools so you know some breathing practices some navigation practices some uh, ways to kind of come back to what the you know, come back to their center uh, can be really, really important things to to start to work on before you start to go. Thinking about things of, you know, even before the preparation, the assessment, like, is this a good time? Are you ready for things to kind of fall apart in your life? You know, there's often a disintegration with these medicines. And mm-hmm. sometimes people will just show up. My first time going in, I <laughs> I just showed up. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, And I had a really big disintegration process. And so it was a year of things kind of falling apart. And, you know, looking back, I'm really glad that all happened. But in the moment, it was really hard. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with a lot of clients that have had difficult months, years after, you know, a really big retreat. And so, you know, that was probably not as much from like a single experience, but more from a, a retreat. And so I think that really also just helping people to to make a really informed choice about it maybe going and getting some more skills building out your support network I think that's a huge part of the assessment and then that can also lead into preparation I also one thing I like to do is to talk really frankly with people about their expectations Mm -hmm. and so people often come in and I'm like they said oh I don't have any expectations I'm like ah bullshit maybe maybe (laughs) you you should (laughs) Well, you do. I think most people do. I'm like, okay, well, if mm-hmm. you imagine yourself at the end of the retreat, how do you think you'll, you'll feel? And then they have a list. New I'm like, person. okay, there's your expectations. <laughs> um, and starting to kind of really tease those apart and, and really, you know, I think helping them to set an intention, but that can really open you. Like one, one of my teachers from many years ago said, when you set an intention, it can open you up to a field of, of possibility. And so when you to help kind of work on some of these intentions, to help people try and actually practice it in their life before they go to the experience and see what starts to come up already. How can you bump up against those edges of yourself personally? Um, So that's kind of some of the preparation work. And then with integration, it's, yeah, I think it's this ongoing listening practice. Well, what came up? What are the main themes? What are the teachings? How does that show up in your life? What does that look like? Uh, what are the, you know, one thing I appreciate about my time in Peru is that they talked about this idea of tests. And so you go and you have these experiences and then you get tested afterwards. You had an experience. The big thing that came up was the power of your voice and how you often hide. And then you go home and there's a difficult conversation that appears a week later and you don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. And so I think a big thing is really just helping people get clear on what it is they that came up for them. How does that look in their life and how do they kind of keep some practice around it? And then that often will open up a whole host of other things. And so maybe that will start to go into some of their personal narratives, some of their, their history. Maybe that needs a little bit of attention. And 
it can also, yeah, start to shift things in their lives. Usually people that do this work, they'll have a lot of changes in their life in terms of relationships, how they're, what they want to be creating, what they want to be doing. So things start to change and that, that can be really scary for people. And so, uh, just to kind of talk people through that, that process and support them in that and helps them, you know, that's, one of my the ways I like to do this is to really help them also get clarity from themselves and so that kind of inquiry to me is um, helping them see their own answers and so it's really easy to tell someone what you see or what you think or give advice uh, but really helping them to guide some of their own inner intelligence is, is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah I, I remember our, our first conversation and uh I'm, I'm fascinated by the work of Gabor Mate and the compassionate inquiry. I know that's something that you you reference quite a bit and, and how that's helped guide some of that work, I'm assuming. <laughs> but is that is that kind of the main premise of the compassionate inquiry? Is that helping guide people into those questions or helping people heal them hear themselves? Heal themselves. <laughs> Well, I think if you look at the two words, his model, compassionate inquiry. Um, so it's really about supporting and bringing the compassion first and foremost, because we live in a hypercritical culture. And I think that even is more amplified when people are talking about their relationship with themselves. Really bring that compassionate perspective first and foremost. And then, you know, his work is really... So I first saw him working in Mexico I, I did some retreats working alongside him and it really highlighted an aspect of integration for me. It was really helping people kind of make sense of the past. And so his focus is very much about trauma and early childhood and uh, helping people to really, I would say, listen to the experience of that inner child that's still present and playing out in all these different ways and bringing a lot of compassion. And then he doesn't use this word, but I would say in some ways reparenting mm. that child and you know, building that connection and that relationship, which is a huge piece of work that a lot of folks need to do. And then the inquiry is, yeah, I think it's more about the asking questions. I'd say you, you steer the conversation in some ways, uh, but it's really about allowing that person to, to come to that, that clarity within themselves first and to listen to their own. You know, that's part of it is about how do we get people to also listen to their own wisdom, their own voices, their own intuition their own feelings, their own sensations. Um, and a big part of, of his work is also helping people identify their, their beliefs that are really in the background driving, driving the ship. So mm -hmm. I just want to circle back on the, on something you mentioned about preparation and you talked a little bit about your, your first experience going into it. You didn't really know what to expect. And so, you know, you potentially didn't feel that anxious about it. I just wonder whether, you know, that's, there's more apprehension with users that have gone through the experience than people that haven't, because to your point, um, you know, you know what you're about to get into in terms of the experience. And, and then, you know, to what extent or how do you work with people that are feeling anxious about something that you should, is it is a big deal? And are there any, you know, warning signs um, that you would flag to say actually this experience isn't for this for this person um so to what extent you coach people through it and to what extent you say no, no perhaps not yeah and so i mean there's a whole list of of psychological and medical conditions that i think make this work not really safe for certain folks or within a certain context so i think there's like i just want to name that yeah, I, I mean, I, it's funny, I guess I didn't have a lot of preparation and I dove in and here I am many years later and mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm okay. Mm -hmm. As I um, think a lot of people stumble into it, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying like that's, that that's going to continue to happen and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. I think that sometimes... I think the one thing that I, to kind of answer your question, like how do I help people if they're really anxious about it? I think that sometimes there's a huge amount of desperation around just wanting to feel a different way than their current experience. And I think if it's on that, that line, that's actually probably when I would say, maybe go try and get some other tools to help you learn some regulation skills. Like I wouldn't say it exactly in those, in those terms. 
or to just kind of get your baseline up a little bit because these things can can basically bring up a lot of that stuff that is inside and that might be you know you've had a hard time being with for various reasons you know that's just a way of surviving that's what the body does and the psyche does my favorite thing is when people decide that for themselves that's one question when I, I I'm not doing it anymore but when I did assessment for several years I'd say to people like are you ready for things to get worse before they get better and here's what that could look like or are you ready for things to fall apart for a little while and that could mean like you know the anxiety you're experiencing sometimes that can get heightened after experience even though that's the thing you're going to work on or you just may experience this like increased sensitivity or have these big waves of emotion like do you feel like you can handle that right now like do you think you have tools to actually navigate that or not really like would that be really overwhelming what's your support network like do you have someone you can talk to I know I've interviewed people who are wanting to go and do these experiences and they've never talked to anyone about some of their past traumas. And that's the thing they're going to to work on. And, you know, I'm not saying that the only way is to go and see a therapist for six months and then come. I'm just saying, well, maybe it would, you'd actually set yourself up to succeed a little bit better if you had a little more school, like skills and tools and you had a little more of a framework even around these experiences that have happened to you. And so I've also can think of clients that were anxious and then just needed a little bit of support in helping to regulate themselves and then were able to go and, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's unpack, like, first maybe do some somatic work to help them regulate or connect with what feels good in their bodies or okay in their bodies. And then just being curious, well, well, what are you anxious about? Like, and just trying to, like, lean in into that anxiousness and you know well what what's that what's that saying oh you're you know sometimes it's that I'm anxious of what the changes might mean if I go and do this work I know there's some areas that I probably need to change in my life I'm not sure if I want to change them right now okay that's good information I'm not saying they have to make a choice one way or the other but it's just good to to know that and so I think sometimes in those situations it's really about helping them start to get more clear on where they're at and what's the piece of work they're they're wanting to do that may or may not happen with the experience um and then just helping them to also understand a little bit more about like what what are they anxious about yeah and and earlier on in the conversation you talked a little bit about some of the kind of blocking and tackling you do on the preparation side things like you know diet uh, both, you know, nutritional diet, but maybe social media diet. What are some of the other things that you can, you know, talk about that potentially shape a, a positive or negative experience? And this is, yeah, this is what I think I really took away from my time in the working with different traditions in the Amazon. And it's more about starting to kind of clean the the body on a physical level to help your body kind of prepare to to work with that medicine and then also to get us off things that I I personally love caffeine (laughs) so like things like caffeine or sugar or these kind of things that really do influence us and it's it's really about helping us to get more sensitive about how things impact us as well and so I think there can be something helpful on that level um, with social media as well, or it's a lot of this, these inputs in our lives. And so television, media, um, and to just start to create a like mindful relationship with the things we are consuming on a day-to-day basis. You know, sex is another big one. If you're drugs, alcohol, like all of these different things are they impact us, although most of us can just kind of use them in our day-to-day lives um, without knowing how they impact us. And so I think it's really about this process of, and, you know, a lot of people in the in the kind of psychedelic-assisted therapy won't do much of a, of a dieta or a diet to prepare. Um, but I think even, you know, if you're working with other substances, I think that that can be helpful just to help start to build that connection to increase that sensitivity. Also, you know, if you start limiting food that can bring up a lot of things for people if you start to cut out caffeine or alcohol that can start to bring up a lot of things for people 
And so I think it's really about this process of, you know, stirring some things up and then also trying to put the attention inwards instead of to all these different things externally that we that we reach for. And typically, how long does that begin in advance of the experience? And so in a traditional setting, it really depends on a lot of a lot of times the lineages are related with family. And so they have different family standards. And so they'll also do a post kind of limitation of what you can consume as well and I think good practice if you're doing like a longer retreat is about like two weeks beforehand but if it's something like if someone is dependent on alcohol for example and that's something they turn to often I would actually say you should probably start that long before two weeks so that's an example I've seen people start to clean their diet months before in preparation to come and this is like where I've seen people say, okay, I'm, I was going to go for depression, but I've addressed that through some of these changes I've made in my lifestyle just in coming down. So I think it really depends. I think even just doing it for a week can be helpful if you're thinking about doing like a guided sit with someone, I think to just create more space and time. I think one of the biggest things you can do even towards going like towards a one-to-one guided sit is, is to start to give it time and so start to give yourself time start to slow down start to take care of yourself um, and that can really go a long way mm-hmm. yeah I think it it everything that you just outlined it speaks so much to what you said earlier that you know sometimes in this process of preparation you're you're almost doing half the work <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. you've already decided to show up for this process. Mm-hmm. You've made that commitment. You've started addressing these things that can, you know, understand that, like taking that ownership of your process. And it really speaks for me, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are getting really interested in, in these medicines for, you know, quick fix or, oh, I hear it helps with this, 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 and this. I have that, I should just give it a try. And I I love this emphasis from folks like yourselves who are saying like, you know, if if you want the good stuff to happen, the really good stuff, like take the time to get to know it first, take the time to to show up in the ways that are going to give you the most positive benefit, allow you that transformative experience or transcendent experience. And yeah, I think um, it's, it's great wisdom. Very appreciate the, all of the insight on it. As you were talking through this, it, it reminded me of what we were spoke, speaking about before, you know, before our chat and different ways that people prepare, prepare for uh, journeys, things like that. And this, this notion of surrendering versus opening. And it was something that you said, you know, would be, would be great to kind of touch on because there is this idea that before or during the experience, you know, there's supposed to be this great, great surrender um, of yourself. And and I think that ties in really beautifully with your, what you were saying about the preparatory phase and, and how we really get in touch with ourselves during this process. So would love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with a a friend, Ido Cohen, and both of us feel passionate about this. (laughs) We talk about (laughs) it sometimes, but um, and it, part of this seed also came from uh, one of the healers I was working with in Peru, uh, Romulo was his name. And so he talked about this idea that really what these medicines do is they go inside and they open up something. And, you know, from that system, it's about working with a lot of the blockages in the body. And I think one of the tricky things about surrender is that it, it kind of is like this very passive, like you do the thing, you take over I'm going to try and open myself up. And I think for a lot of people, based on their their trauma history, one that's really problematic and not so helpful. And one of the most consistent advice, um, I would say across different traditions of people kind of working in ceremonies that I've heard is about concentrating, about participating. It's really about like trying to find your your center, which is not a, to me is like more of like an active concentration than this, like, let go, Mm -hmm. let the thing do its, do its magic. And, and something, there can be a moment where it's helpful to just like relax and, you know, try and let go of expectation or trying to control it. But I feel like opening is about 
really about kind of imagining like breathing into an area if you're feeling like there's an area that's really stuck for example like how do I start to kind of give that some space how do I start to imagine that that is opening how do I start to kind of work with it versus this very passive um, idea and of, of surrender and a lot of people because of very I'd say the majority of people because of pretty complex personalities and defense mechanisms that you don't want to dismantle you know all at the same time um, surrender is not even realistic I would say for most people but I feel like there's a big shift it's like okay well I don't want to surrender to this fear I've been carrying around for 30 something years but maybe I can try and open it a little bit or maybe I can try to breathe into it. I can imagine that space where I hold that in my body. Maybe I can imagine like opening that a little bit at a time. Maybe I can imagine the space around it and that supporting it. Maybe I can call on people that are there as resources for me, you know, even if it's just energetically. Maybe I can call on them so they can support me that I can start to do this work of, of letting it open. Um, because you don't you don't want too much to happen too fast or else I think that's when it can lead to something on an extreme end like psychosis, something on a less extreme end like things really having having a very difficult time for a long period after one of these like peak experiences. I feel like there's something about open opening to something that invites like that participation that invites that internal knowledge and also doesn't provoke this kind of disassociative quality of letting the medicines do their work and 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 sometimes that that will work and sometimes that will happen um but i i think that there's a lot more agency i'd say mm -hmm. in this idea of of opening important distinction so <laughs> show up for the process yeah and and see what little piece of it you can work with mm -hmm. because you're not gonna fix everything mm -hmm. in one in one sit mm -hmm. and you know a lot of the things that we were carrying around that show up as as conditions or diagnoses um, has been a, a subtle lifetime of building and so you're going to want to unpack that slowly if someone promises you that they will fix it all <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a couple of sessions. I would probably not go to them. <laughs> you know, pray for, pray for miracles and, mm -hmm. and miraculous things happen all the time. And I think also just to be realistic of like what, what you can start to actively work with and what can you start to build a relationship with instead of like a passive kind of dismissal of, of something. Yeah, all amazing reflections um and so useful in the current context i think so yeah i appreciate all of that so much um well this says i mean this has been such an amazing conversation would love to hear i mean you've you've touched on so many beautiful ways that we can integrate this work into the modern context and um shared so much of your your wisdom and your work where would you like to see the psychedelic industry go what's what's your hopes for the future of it and and how you've experienced this this forthcoming of this kind of new age yeah i mean i think there's it's like every world has its medicine so psychology has a lot of gifts and areas it can offer i think these ancient medicine traditions have a lot of gifts and things they can offer to the conversation i think there's also something about this personal agency that is kind of the individual that you can also add to the conversation and if you have a good guide they will help you to kind of amplify that I, I think my biggest concern is that the psychedelic companies are, are going to be just that companies and so I, I hope that there is an integration with uh, being in relationship you know accessibility is a huge concern with these medicines they're not it's not either cheap to fly down to another country wherever that might be and do a retreat it's also not cheap to find an underground therapist and to work with them or or some of the ketamine assisted therapy so i i think more and more i would love to see some of that relationship piece you know accessibility around how do you start to build in this ceremonial context 
to that kind of assisted work that's starting to happen more and more. And I know individuals do that in their practice and really, yeah, helping people to kind of discern like what, what's right for them. You know, what are they, what are they looking for? How do we help them to kind of get more clear on what they're, what they're looking for, what they're longing for and not to, to hope for miracles, but not to promise miracles at the same way. So I, I think that it's really, again, I think this spirituality piece is going to be more integrated as time continues. And there's also a lot of, I think, a need for science to be leading the charge at the moment. Although I think that that's gonna, I hope that that starts to open up and that the container starts to be a little bit bigger in terms of who the people are involved in the conversations. Beautifully said. Diana, thank you so much for sharing with us and thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for doing this. It's these conversations that highlight the emerging new world of psychedelics and allow us to speak to both the pioneers and the new age innovators shaping the current culture of this exciting space. In every episode, we hope to help you, the listeners, connect the dots and be a part of the conversation that is super psychedelic. If you like what you heard, you can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.